Hello and welcome to Setting the Stage, Episode 12, Chris and Varys. Today I'm here with Chris and he's got a really interesting world, but uh, first, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself uh, outside of Dungeons & Dragons? Uh, outside of Dungeons & Dragons, uh, I was born in Sonoma, California, a very small, nice part of the world. Um, grew up there and eventually made my way to Berkeley, where I went to school at UC Berkeley. Um, I have spent a lot of time um, hiking. I really enjoy mindfulness meditation. I've done a few silent retreats. Um, I've probably spent well over like a thousand hours just sitting in silence. Um, I like cool. to do a lot of reading, um, do a lot of fantasy reading. Um, Name of the Wind, I would have to just give a quick shout out. I'm sure by now everyone has read it uh, just because of how popular it's become. But uh, I still had a friend who was who hadn't read it yet, and I was uh, dogging on him for a while to get to it. Um, I, I think I remember that one. Is that the one with like a magic tower or something? Am I, am I, am I remembering no, the wrong thing? That might, that might be like the Dark Tower or something. No, that one's Patrick Rothfuss, which if you haven't read it, Isaac, I highly recommend it. It is absolutely fantastic. It's some of the best writing in like fantasy um, novels that I've ever read. Um, uh, yeah, Patrick Rothfuss is on my, my list of uh, well, my pandemic reading list that has yeah. been <laughs> slowly chipped away at and, you know, I can't really call it that anymore. But the list so. never ends. I mean, for me, it's just it's always continuous. I have so many books now that I've bought on Amazon and that um, <laughs> are yet to be read, but, uh, you know, still getting to them. Um, but other than that, um, I mostly just stay home, um, play video games. I just beat uh, God of War Ragnarok, which was fantastic. Cool. Um, I'd still say I think Elden Ring uh, deserved Game of the Year. Uh, for the absurd amount of hours I dropped on that when it like first I, came out. I was a little bit shocked. I felt like Elden Ring was obviously more of a cultural phenomenon mm -hmm. than any other game that year. So Did you yeah. play it? I did not. I'm not a fan of the Dark Souls or much of the action RPG games at all. Um, gotcha. I think the only ones I played are the Star Wars ones, just because I love the setting so much. But, mm -hmm. uh, but yeah, I, I get the appeal. Yeah, I mean, for me, it's not even my favorite FromSoft game. My favorite is Bloodborne, which just has like some of the best world building. Um, mm -hmm. And actually, uh, my D&D uh, &D game draws uh, somewhat heavily from that one. Um, but yeah, cool. uh, both games were uh, absolutely fantastic. And I spent a lot of time uh, doing D&D &D as of late. Um, I've been playing for quite a while, and one of my long-term um, campaigns that got moved online after the pandemic kind of started to fizzle out. Um, I don't know if my DM just like didn't want to do it anymore. If he was just getting busy, but we were, we had a game for about, I think like six or seven years. And, you know, technically it's still going. It's just, we haven't played in a while, but um, when we stopped playing that, um, I was listening to a lot of dimension 20 when I was moving from California to Austin, Texas and um, I listened to, like, the entire first season of Dimension 20 in the car uh, because I did some, like, wild road trip where I picked up a van in Las Vegas, drove back to Sonoma, California, which was eight hours, and mm -hmm. then drove to Austin. And the vans, you can only um, drop off where you picked them up or else you pay, like, an enormous fee. And so right. I had to drive back from Austin to Las Vegas 
So I was, I don't even know. I drove like 4,000 miles or something like that. Like, <laughs> yeah, that's a so big absurd amount of time. Uh, but I finished the entire uh, Dimension 20 season one and fell in love with it. And then I was like, hey, this is what I want to do when I play D&D. So uh, that inspired me largely to start running my game. Yeah, uh, I saw that you mentioned Dimension 20 in your, your intro survey. And I, I actually had to look that up because I hadn't heard of it. So it's a, oh, a college humor D&D show. Yeah, so, um, yeah, it's done by College Humor. Uh, the guy who does it, Brendan Mulgan, has been playing for, like, a really long time. Um, and he's just, like, one of the best, like, improv people that I've met uh, or that I've uh, seen. Mm. Uh, uh, do you, Have you watched uh, Critical Role or listened to Critical Role? Well, this is my, my secret confession, is that I actually don't like watching or listening to D&D shows that much. I just, I, I can't get into it as a spectator. Gotcha. Okay, so... <laughs> I I'm not super into Critical Role. I've listened to it a little bit, but yeah, I, I kind of feel the same. It's kind of hard for me to get into that. But Dimension Twenty, it's like really like quick. It's like funny and also like tense at the same time. Um, it just does a really good job at like uh bringing out the characters and like showing their development. Like that first season is probably still like one of my favorite uh, D and Ds. And I, I only listen to it. I don't I don't really watch it. Um. Mm. Because for some reason, when I listen, it I can picture it in my head better than when I'm actually watching it. Um, I'm kind of the same yeah. even when I play D and D. You know, I'm not I'm not always looking at other people. I'm like seeing things that are going on in my head. Um, that makes sense to me. Yeah, yeah. And I I have like the the faster plays that I've seen, but um, like I've liked Harmon Quest and the uh, the Legend of Vox Machina like cartoon show. Yeah, yeah. Um, so those are you know, faster paced and actually have visuals to look at. But yeah, I suppose as a, like as a podcast with a faster paced one, yeah, maybe I'd be into that. I should check out that then. Yeah. One that's short. Um, that's pretty fast paced actually is one where, um, Brennan from dimension 20 is on critical role. It's called Exandria unlimited calamity. And it's only like five episodes. Um, and that one's super quick. It's like always going, um, and it borrows from the lore of critical role, which is interesting. And, uh brennan does a fantastic job um as always but all right yeah it's, I'll, it's i wrote that one down to check out later cool um but yeah now i'm just um hanging out in austin texas with uh my dog and my cat and my girlfriend and um i bartend for work and hopefully starting a new um remote job soon at uh google doing um legal assistant i would i would love to be remote i'm so ever since the uh pandemic and being in quarantine i've just become more and more <laughs> antisocial and wanting to just stay at home so uh i'm really hoping that uh i hear back from them and hopefully i can move to remote work okay well yeah it's always nice to be comfortable and remote work is definitely <laughs> more comfortable than anything yeah. else yeah, absolutely. Also, I, I've seen that you've experienced the commute from Austin to to California to Google headquarters. So, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well, luckily they have one here too, uh, but uh, it's still pretty far. It's like thirty minutes. So I'm like, I don't want to. I don't want to go to the office. Yeah, so yeah. Okay. Yeah. Sonoma is actually an interesting connection for me because I, I uh, have a few friends there. I used to uh, oh, no visit way. there on wake weekends and stuff. So yeah. In nice. like in the actual town of Sonoma. Um, Sebastopol for me. Oh, but, okay, yeah. You know, still close enough. Yeah, that's close. Uh, did they go to Sonoma State or? Uh, no, this is actually when I was in middle school. Um, with my my family and like we had like a 
a D&D group that was like at home we played with on Wednesdays and there was a different one on the weekends for when mm-hmm. we were visiting um, people in Sonoma. Oh, nice. Seb- Sebastopol, but still. Yeah. Yeah, that's a nice area. That's yeah, really cool. So it. are you from California then? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm from from the Bay. I'm from oh, cool. Menlo Park, Palo Alto. Oh, nice. Oh, that's a beautiful area. Yeah. yeah. The, the hills was, up there are great. I was just over there for um, for New Year's, actually. I had a, a friend who um, was having a party there. Cool. Yeah. What what brought you out to Austin? I think I missed that in the conversation. Um, I actually just wanted to uh, live somewhere new. Um, I just kind of wanted to travel, and my girlfriend and I were split between here and Berlin, and she didn't want to move that far, mm-hmm. so uh, we decided on Austin. Uh, her yeah. brothers had lived here for a few years, and um, they really liked it, and so... We just like to live in new places or explore different parts of the world, so we thought it'd be a good fit. Um, Austin's all right, you know? I heard better things about it before I moved here, and I don't think I'd give the same recommendation uh, as what people gave me. Um, I have really bad allergies, and in the spring, I can hardly breathe, and my face gets uh, swollen. My my eye gets swollen. Yeah, and I've never had allergies either. You know, California isn't... uh, you know, gets pretty bad allergies. A lot of people do, but um, yeah, I never had allergies. And then when I came here, it's just air is poisonous. It's also nowhere near as like uh, beautiful in terms of like environment and like landscape. Like mm, people yeah. are like, oh, it's really outdoorsy. And I come here and it's like the trees are basically just big bushes and <laughs> you got dirt trails to hike on. And that's about it. Um, the river's nice. The food is pretty good. The service is a little lacking, but um yeah, it's it's all right. I think Austin is a great place to visit. I wouldn't necessarily live here again. Hmm. Yeah, how long have you lived there? I've lived here. Um, I moved in September of twenty twenty one, so like a year and a couple months. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Was, so as my dad's had this experience with moving a couple times for allergies, is that like initially it's nothing because you you need to be exposed first to have the allergy, mm-hmm. and then it gets terrible. And then eventually, if it's not too bad, you get used to it and it goes away again. I'm hoping that because um, my lease is up in um, May, and so I'm hoping that it doesn't come back as bad as it was before. Because yeah, it was just brutal, and uh, I don't I don't know how long it took before it it actually hit me uh, from September to like I think like April or something. But it's like cedar or something that's like really bad, like mm. cedar fever. Um, what I'm really hoping is that now when I go to other places, I'm not susceptible to like allergies that I wasn't susceptible to before, you know, and now I'm just like stuck with allergies my entire life. Like I was so happy with never having allergies <laughs> and now I just, uh, well, I mean, you might, you might find that you actually get allergies coming back to California, uh, since you've been gone for so long. So I know I, that, that's what I'm yeah. worried about. <laughs> I have this thing when I have an allergy to cats, but I have a bunch of cats and I'm, I'm acclimated to it at my home. Mm-hmm. But whenever I go on a vacation and I come back, I'm allergic to my cats again and I have to deal with like sneezing for a week. Yeah. Yeah, well, it's good that it's mild. Mine is is real bad. I I literally just my face gets like red and blotchy and my eye swells up like it's it's next level shit. I need to go to like the doctor to get some stuff again because yeah, I had to get yeah. like an inhaler and stuff like it was crazy. Yeah, my um my sister's roommate in college, uh yeah, she just like when it was 
the the pollen season she just didn't go outside it didn't yeah i mean that's another uh benefit of being remote too hopefully i'm just not gonna have to leave my house except to walk my dog <laughs> yeah and for the the traveling you were talking about like when your if your lease comes up and you just want to go to berlin this year yeah yeah um, well yeah. it's gonna be a hard sell again for my girlfriend since i'm the one who mostly wants to do it but we're thinking about denver or maybe somewhere on the east coast or maybe even back to california i mean you know it's such a beautiful place and it's it's hard to be away from like family and everything like mm-hmm. it makes holidays so expensive having to like drive or fly back like i just drove back for the holidays because um i brought my cat with me and um we made the drive and i picked up my friend who I actually played D with uh, my longtime friend in mm-hmm. durango colorado and so we ended up making like a 30 hour drive trip there and then another 30 hour drive uh back but that's was, impressive yeah it was a it was a good time the uh 14 hour i had two 14 hour days from durango or from austin to durango and durango to austin and i i don't recommend those <laughs> yeah oh, that's a that's another part of texas there the huge driving distances yeah and oh and if anyone's listening to this and they haven't been to new mexico and they don't know this the police in New Mexico are hunting you and there's such long roads that have nothing and the speed limit's only like 70 miles an hour and it's so easy to go like 80 or above. I got pulled over twice in New Mexico. I only got a ticket for one, but I got, I got a ticket when I was driving back, I think for like 93 on a long road where no one was there and I was super tired and I didn't even realize that there was a cop coming at me. And somehow, I'm still not sure how this works, but he clocked my speed while he was driving toward me uh, and then flipped around and then pulled me over. Um, is that a possible... Do you, do you know how that works? Because I thought speed is relative. I thought you can't... Yeah, I thought you have to be in a still point to measure speed. Well, they might have one that like hooks into the car and can automatically do it, but uh-huh. he would know his speed. So if he clocks you at 150 and he sees himself going 65, then he's yeah. like, okay, they're, and they're okay, that makes going sense. Whatever. Yeah. Yeah. So that was a bummer. If you like going 95, uh, I would recommend Montana because the highways there do not have a speed limit. Oh, that's nice. Yeah, I've driven in um in Germany before. I drove from Munich to Berlin on the autobahn which mm-hmm. doesn't have a speed limit either. And um, I was going like, I rented a BMW there and I uh, was going like 260 kilometers, which I think is like 130 or 140 or something like that. Um, just hauling ass like the entire way. Uh, it was incredibly fun. It's five to three for the conversion. So I think that's 150. Oh, okay. Yeah, even faster. Wow. But yeah, yeah, very, very fast. Yeah, I only had one person pass me the entire time, and they were driving a nicer car than me. <laughs> uh, well, man, we should get back to to D and D topics. So, yeah. uh, your world, um, what's the what's the name of it? Uh, the world is Varus, um, which actually has a meaning, um, but it is eluding me right now. Um, what it means. I, th- I think it's a Latin word. I think it's Latin. Um... Yeah, Varus, the guy that um, I think that's one of the like generals that lost all of his armies in Germany. Yeah, I oh, I I have so many notes. So I take most of my notes like on my phone. Uh, um, I have how many is it now? 
3,571 notes. <laughs> um, and luckily, I have them very well sorted. And when I come up with things, I sort all there. So for this campaign, I have 161 notes just specific mm-hmm. to this. Um, you know what I think it was? I think it was the... Um, I think it was the middle of a word um, that I, like, put together, like, uh, it was, like, a longer word, and then I took out just varus and um, out of the longer word. But uh, that's actually something that's super important to me, is, like, coming up with the the name of stuff. Um, My degree in, at Berkeley was rhetoric, which loosely translates to, like, the philosophy of language kind of how language works um in a general sense and something that i've just always loved um uh, in philosophy is just like language is meaning how it's changed over its time uh the effect it has on people how people affect it and mm-hmm. everything related all right uh you spelled it a little bit different than the general guy so varus the way you spell it v-e-r-i-s means spring yeah maybe do you know like do you know like verdant like that like green and growing? I think it's mm-hmm. the same root. Yeah, you know what I think I did. I think I took like because what I'll often do is I will look up words in Greek or Latin, and mm-hmm. then I will take like um a part a part of that. I I definitely do that too. Um, another thing I like to do for names is I'll like just put like literally what I want it to mean. And then I'll tra- use like Google Translate into a random language. Mm-hmm. So, like uh, for example, the the um, the continent that they're currently on is in terminus, um, which terminus is a Latin word, and then the um, in in terminus means like I think finite or like boundary, um, and then in terminus is like unbound, um, basically. And then the other continent where they're all from, um, which is the Conexus, was just like a connected version of the Nexus. But I generally try to make it so that things are kind of intertwined or connected. You know, no one, no one ever really uh, cares to like look it up, you know, unless they're looking from like an outside perspective and they're like, oh, I make that connection. But, you know, my players... Uh, I love them to death, but you know, a lot goes over their head. <laughs> well, I, I think like the the literal stuff that you're describing can go over the, their head, but the the words when you're picking them still have like a feeling to them that is right. conveyed with what you're doing. So in terminus, like because you still have like the termination and the in ending, even if they haven't commented on it to you like purposefully, mm-hmm. it still has a, a feeling to that word that's coming across. Right. Um, and it's just like Conexus has, and the various like it being similar to how we think of like Gaia as like a growing, a growing word. Um, and that's why, like when I was doing that, I told you about like the translation thing, where I take a word like the literal meaning of what I want to be, and I translate it into a different language. Mm-hmm. Often, when you present someone with two different words in a different language, and then the two words as they would be translated. They can pick them correctly just based off of how the words sound. Oh, cool. Um, so I think like hard and soft are ones that usually people can pick out which is which just based off of hard usually having a 
hard consonant sound in it, mm-hmm. and soft having a soft consonant like an F. Right. That's cool. I hadn't heard that before. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah. So there's your there's your linguistics lesson of the day. <laughs> um. Okay. So yeah, words. I love it. I love it. I did have a lot of questions about the words. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it's it's good to get into that. Um. Can you give me a, a physical description of your world? Um, like the like environmental makeup of it. Well, so, uh, in the survey, you mentioned like two different continents, but yeah, also like oh, yeah, what's the yeah. environmental makeup? Is it like one's a desert continent and? Um no, so it's pretty. So when I started doing this, um, I quickly realized I was going to get overwhelmed if I put in a lot of stuff and mm-hmm. if I tried to um, make sense of everything and tried to flesh out everything. And so I was like, okay, well, what do I know? What do I think is interesting? And how can I simplify that? So the world that is really paid attention to um basically the two continents that are of main importance or that are like considered civilized um is um america which i make these on incarnate by the way um uh fantastic software for making maps um uh which is mm-hmm. america which is in terminus and the connexus um which is basically europe and um what happened uh, about a thousand years ago was everyone was moved off of Interminus and moved over to the Conexus where they formed um, countries that were um, separated by um, species, as they now call them in 1D&D, um, or races yes. if you prefer the 5th edition version. Um, uh. <laughs> but... Um, um, yeah, so they were separated as like kind of an explanation as to you know why people were warring. Um, they were like, hey, you know, elves have a different experience of life because they live 750 years and they um, uh, get reincarnated from their souls. And humans, who uh, actually in this world they live to about 150 years, um, humans have a very different experience because um, you know it's not for sure what's going to happen to their soul, and they live you know a lot. Not as long as uh, elves as compared to dwarves and, you know, everyone else. So that was kind of like their explanation for moving everyone, keeping them separate. Um, mm-hmm. As for all of the other places, there's about uh, two other major continents which kind of make up some of the border races. So like the tabaxis are there and like maybe some of the more wild ones. Um, okay. If someone wanted to, like, you know, play up exotic race or something like that that's where um where they would come from generally um but yeah the um the makeup uh generally like the environment is pretty similar to america it's it's like if you look at the map it's i literally took a uh did a drawing of it it took forever on incarnate but it looks almost exactly like america and then the connexus looks very similar to europe Oh, and so yeah. they have basically made that journey from the Conexus back to Interminus a thousand years later. And um, everything is a lot different there. Um, no one has lived on Interminus for a thousand years, so everything is um, overgrown. A lot of things have been destroyed. And what I wanted to 
do when I was like making the the place that I thought that they would play on, I was like, okay, I don't want to develop everything because that's going to take too much time, but I want it to be well thought out. So I was like, okay, what if I just make it so that everyone is moving over here at the same time? So like as they're figuring things out, so is everyone else. So everything's kind of in development. Um, okay. Which has led to a great world so far. Um, you know, imagine, you know, coming to America early on and being one of the early settlers, but, you know, not killing all the Native Americans. That's the one <laughs> thing I took out. Uh, I was like, okay, I don't want any uh, major uh, genocide. Although there is a little genocide, but that was a long time ago. Um, and it was against the elves, you know, everyone, uh, everyone, uh, the elves have, have it well enough as it is so yeah they're um, stuck up so they deserve it <laughs> exactly um but um but yeah so they're currently um on a terminus um they've been there for about i think about two months now um and um yeah things are getting real they're about three sessions um till the end of the campaign um the first wow. campaign so i'm i'm really hoping it's been about a month since we've played, um, and I'm really hoping that uh, we get to play soon because I, I really just want to wrap it up. I've had this story for so long, and I'm like, it's, it's almost been a year, and I'm like, I can't wait till everything happens and they get to see the end of it. Uh, I just sent you the uh, the actual picture. Okay. Oh, yeah. I, okay, yes. I'm... <laughs> I'm seeing it now, and yes, that is very much a United States. Uh, <laughs> that took incredibly long. If you look at it, it's an actual map. It's actually really close to what it actually looks like. Uh, the one thing I did forget to mention um, was the Chaos Wastes right there, which um, is basically just completely destroyed um, lands filled with smoke and stuff like that, um, which they're not going to get into probably this season. But the beginning of the world was populated with children of Lolth and um, Zaheer, mm-hmm. um, Lolth, the goddess of the drow, and Zaheer, the god of, uh, god of snakes. Um, and before everything was kind of the way it was now, um, in my world, the gods... Um, the like upper plane gods weren't really concerned with populating um worlds it was more of some of the more evil gods that um ended up populating them first and so a lot of worlds actually have histories of some of the evil gods populating their stuff and uh populating the worlds and then the upper plane gods choosing to populate worlds um to actually build armies and to uh, build followers. Um, and so a lot of them are built on like the remnants. Like if you go to the Underdark, um, there are a lot of um, drow in hiding as well as um, they're Wanti, but in this world they're called um, Zekins. Mm-hmm. Um, and so a lot of this story actually has to do with... Um, Loth as well as um, Zaheer. Um, and they're not going to... My, my my goal, I hope they don't listen to this. Um, <laughs> actually, I'm not going to spoil <laughs> it because I'm going to tell them to listen to this. Um, the goal is to, at the end, uh, you know, resolve some major issues. I guess that's all I'll say. Okay. Yeah. 
Yeah, no, that's always a, a choice the GM has to make when they come on a podcast. Yeah, uh, I am I am very secretive with them. I have another friend who I play with who is uh, much more open about what he wants to do and what he wants me to do or like what he wants my story to be like. Um, but I I am very secretive. I love the surprises. Um, and I love well, surprising them. I don't know if this influences your decision, but uh, this episode probably isn't going to go up for a few months because I've got a few others ahead of it for editing. Oh, that's um, fine. I mean what i'm planning is for campaign three which is oh okay yeah, yeah not i, th- I thought you meant like end of campaign one okay. no Never. no yeah end of campaign one um they will be fighting um the head of one of their churches they actually know who their um main opponent is um it is a woman who is um vehemently against Lolth and is doing everything she is basically turning people into Wanti to build an army to try to kill Lolth. And, um, you know, they don't like, they don't know what's going on. And they don't like people, especially their family members and friends, being turned into uh, Wanti. Um, no. So they are quite against her. Um, however, she is quite out of their league. And um, they will soon have no option but to try to take her on. Um, well, let, mean, let's back up a bit. I wanted to to get to that a little bit later on. Okay. Um, you, I, I'm seeing the inspiration from America and Europe right now, and it's yeah. a it's a tradition in JRPGs as well to basically just slap a map of the world down and modify it a little bit. So yeah, I, I'd say you're in good company there. Yeah. Um, so you mentioned like a thousand years ago there was like this big event where everyone was taken from Interminus and put on Connexus. Mm-hmm. Uh. Why don't you go a little more about that event where there are already people on Connexus and they were just rearranged along with everyone as well? Um, yeah, there were people on Connexus, but uh, it wasn't um, as heavily populated. So mm-hmm. before the event, um, which is called the Binding, which happened like, I think it's like a thousand and seven years ago, there were people on both and they were given these um creatures uh basically by the gods um called consequencers and what they they were gifts from the gods and what they were uh for was to help all of the like upper plane um children like the elves and the dwarves humans all of them um defeat the children of Loth and Zaheer that were also occupying Varys and when they eventually pushed them all underground, they still uh, they lived in peace for a little bit after this war with like monsters. And then um, they were like, okay, well, how come one of us doesn't rule? And so there were six nations um, that had won the war. And then after that, um, one of them got kind of power hungry and was like, hey, I should just rule everyone. And so, uh, yeah, so that was actually the first um, king of Interminus, King Emerson. Um, I actually have, I have, an, I have an, ex- I wrote a family line um, for it. Yeah, so this is um, James Emerson the third lived um, in the year sixty uh, pre-binding. Um, he was. 
the third king of Interminus, but he was the one to uh, lead the the victory against um, Loth and the Zekin. And he actually, uh, to win, did something um, a little dangerous. He made a uh, promise um, with Loth um, later on to win the war against um, the rest of the nations. Um, he uh, traded... So this is the same guy that, like, pushed her underground, also promised her something? Yeah, so, um, after they were, uh, well, she wasn't pushed underground, but, you know, all of her children were, or, um, a lot of her descendants, um, and so, in a way to get back, she, uh, made a deal with him, and they had a kid together, but what they also did, um... Emerson's army was largely formed of um, martial fighters, um, while a lot of the other um, armies, once they had been at war, were composed of elves, who were mostly um, wizards, spellcasters, and a large majority of the other army was spellcasters. The -hmm. only advantage, really, that Emerson had was um, the Consequencers, which there were 12 of them. and they had, I think, seven. They had seven, and the other group had five. And what the promise with Loth did was she created... Do you know what a mythal is? Uh, I saw that you, you wrote about that, so I had to look it up. It's like a super powerful like spell of some kind. Yeah, so it's often a spell that multiple wizards will create in like a city to like make you be able to do magical things. So like there's some that could like make you fly, make you cast like sending. Um often um there there's been a few in kind of like D&D lore where um they kind of like collapse and stuff like that. And what'll happen when they start to collapse is it'll uh create like wild magic zones. And I remember reading about that and I was like, "Wow, that is so cool." And so what I did was I created uh or Loth created a um, mythal that encompassed the entire world to limit everyone to uh, fifth level, uh, basically, and magic couldn't be cast higher than third level, um, which uh, gave Emerson and the Consequencers, uh, since he had the majority of them, uh, a huge advantage, and they ended up winning the war, and at that time, they wiped out quite a bit of elves and moved everyone to the Conexus. Um, mm-hmm. Before they were able to like take out everyone, they um, some people started to notice, and they were like, hey, we're not going to move over there if you're going to just kill us all. So they didn't uh, take out all the elves, but they took out quite a, quite a large bunch of them. Now, the um, main antagonist, actually, of the story is um, the daughter of... Uh, one of the elves who died and was pretty young at the time that this happened. And she's been alive um, all this time because in the Chaos Wastes, she found um, an eye of the son of Zaheer, um, which has basically granted her um, a longer life. And so her motivation is not um, only taking out um, King Emerson, but is also um, taking out Loth. Uh, 
Okay. So um, I have this neat way of kind of right now of tying uh, the lore backstory of like what I just told you, like the world backstory um, into their um, world. Um, the the elf Asarin um, This is um, the know, one that wants revenge against Loth and Emerson? Uh, no, so that is Yenavandra. Um, okay. She is um, the daughter of like this um, elf named Alistar who started this, like, order, basically, um, called the Metrodonna, which sought to seek truth and knowledge. And um, Asarin, who's a player character, um, is following that church, and okay. Yenavandra is the head of the church, and he found a book which um, has the initials um, AS, which is um, meant to be believed as Alistar's, um, whatever he wrote his last name as, Silverdra or something. Um, but, um, is actually, um, Yanavandra's, her, uh, first name before she changed it was like, uh, Alavandra. And, um, so he is reading about the events that happened a thousand years ago and is starting to understand her motivation, even though he doesn't know that it's her. And what's going to happen is they don't know where the mythal is. Everyone knows that this magic has been limited for a while. And they are about to discover um, where the magic is being limited. And mm -hmm. they're going to have a choice as to whether to um, restore the mythal or to destroy it. And to um, make um, everyone be able to be, you know, whatever level they want. Um, and the way that they're able to restore it is... Basically, wild magic is seeping out of it right now, and they have um, the wild magic feat, basically, within them, and they are able to give that up um, and stay, you know, they are seventh level right now because it's breaking and because um, it's not as limiting as it was before. Um, but they'll have to restrict themselves to fifth level for the rest of the game. I would be really surprised if they did that. Although, um, you know, part of me hopes they does. Part of me hopes they do because it's really unexpected. But um, or if they let the magic go, um, Yenavandra, who's their main enemy, uh, who's been alive a lot longer, is instantly going to have a uh, magic that she did not have access to before. Is going to have access to, and it's going to be a much tougher fight. Um, right. But. I'm I'm really I'm really looking forward. I love putting decisions um to them to decide, you know, how the world is going to end up. And I love not knowing too because it makes the story so much more fun when I'm like, okay, I have these decisions for them to make and I've got to figure out what happens afterwards once they make those decisions. Yeah, that's that's a really nice choice. It doesn't seem so clear what you would want to do that you could even possibly have like a inter-party conflict over how they resolve it. Right. And I'm 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 very curious because you know, on the one hand, so there's two political parties basically right now. There's the equalists and there's the arcanists, and they've had quite a bit of um interaction with both. And they kind of exemplify um that final decision. The equalists basically believe in like, hey, it's better that um everyone is generally equal because um, there's not as much power difference, there's not as much war, because things have been peaceful the past thousand years because 
the consequencers and the uh, king who rules them, um, there's, you know, there's no question as to who would win in a fight. So there haven't been any um, major wars. And then there's the Arcanists who believe, you know, um, freedom of magic items should be allowed. We should be able to express ourselves. We should be able to dive into new curiosities. And it's like, you know, there's merit to both of them. And it's really just going to be a matter of choice at the end what you think is better. Um, Is it the good of everyone or is it, you know, the good of you taking the power in your own hands and what you might be able to do with that. So right. I'm, uh, I'm really curious to hear the rationale and how everything's going to end up. Uh, so I've, I've got a few questions there. So the, the consequences you just, you said they're like, uh, some sort of force that was created by the higher plane gods or are they like angels? Um, yeah, I actually have. Okay. So, um, I am insane. I've spent I've spent like three grand at this point of like art, like custom art that I've had of like uh, people done of like uh, the characters wow. and like all types of stuff. Um, um, and I actually just got one done of the the consequences, but the file is too big to send. Um, <laughs> basically, what they are is they're a creation of uh, two gods. Um, one is the um is the actual god of creation moradin and then the other one is she was like a god of peace um her name is eluding me but alondra um that might be it i don't have it here written down it's probably in my notes in my phone but um the two of them created them to give to the mortals, basically. And what's really cool about them, um, the the inspiration from them actually came from Mistborn. Um, mm-hmm. Have you read that? Uh, I have not. So there's these really imposing creatures in Mistborn um, that basically seem unkillable, which is how the consequences are. Um, they're the only things that aren't affected by the mythal. And so they're basically like level twenty creatures versus all of these level fifth, uh, uh, level five people. And um, what's really cool about them is they don't have a head. Um, it's just kind of like they're almost look like the body of like a armored warforged. And where their head is, they have this like floating orb um, that kind of just like morphs around. And when they are hunting someone the orb shifts into the face of who they're hunting. Ooh. Yeah. And so very imposing, you know, to see your own face uh, beating you down as uh, they go looking for you. But um, they are actually controlled by um, the king, um, who his crown has the ability to control them. He has several different attachments to it uh, to be able to control each individual one. because okay. when they were first given out, um, there was basically like you know a remote for each one, and um, he has condensed them all into one crown where he can control them. Gotcha. Yeah. Okay. Uh, so you mentioned the it was called the the binding makes it so everyone's restricted to fifth level, so that yep. includes like martial classes and yeah magic classes. Okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, how does that work for monsters like you know a twentieth level dragon? What what happens there? 
Yeah, so there. Um, I actually haven't run any dragons. Um, a lot of the things that I've been running have been pretty um, low level. Um, I've been thinking about what I was going to do um, if I was going to do dragons. I was thinking I was probably just going to put them um, either underground or up in like a high city or something like that. Mm-hmm. But what I was thinking generally when I if I do run stronger monsters is that that that's their kind of innate ability and for example like if a high level fighter is pushing beyond their means sometimes it's it's not like directly magic but like they're like tapping into something that's just beyond the normal means and so um Whereas a dragon would like innately have fire breath, um, okay. they wouldn't be able to cast you know like high level magic. Uh, I think some some dragons can cast spells. Um, I think it's a variant rule in the monster manual. So yeah, and so they would be limited in that aspect. But uh, they're like normal. Uh, a lot of their normal features would still be accessible. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, another thing I was thinking about with the the restricted to fifth levels that sounds very similar to the e6 rules that existed for third edition do you know about those i don't okay so the idea well third edition you had way more feats Mm -hmm. um and people tend to not like high level play uh which i don't know if you've dm'd high level play yet but it's probably it's very similar in fifth edition where Mm -hmm. Uh, it gets uh, difficult to control your players because they can pretty yeah. much do whatever they want. Yep. Um, and it, it also means that it's hard to have like a, a slow progression of the story because people can teleport everywhere and heal up all on the same day and all of this stuff. So yeah, to have it feel like a more grounded story, uh, you keep a level restricted to level six. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and I mean, that's a great idea. That was largely like... One of the reasons I did it, because I was like, okay, why are they solving this major problem? Like, I've played in a few other games, and I'm like, okay, why are we saving the world? We're, like, level six. <laughs> and I'm like, how come they're going to us for this? Like, there's no one else. There's no level 20 people. Um, so I thought that that would be a good a good way to explain why they're solving this problem. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Uh, that totally makes sense. Um in, in E6, that additional part where, like, you're stuck at level 6, whereas you're almost, like, letting them fix that restriction. <laughs> um, yeah, so by gaining more feats? Yeah, yeah. so you gain more feats. Um, and in the in 5th edition, there's, like, the, the epic boons in the Dungeon Master's Guide. It's yeah. it's similar to that, where you get access to, like, some special feats once you're level 6. Oh, those are cool. Uh, I, I love those. I'm going to be giving those out at the end of the second campaign. Um, if they do a certain thing, um, mm-hmm. which uh, they're going to be having a choice um, there too at the second campaign. I love I love putting those in there, the those uh, really tough choices. Uh, in the second one, they're going to have an incredibly tough one too, uh, where they choose what's more important um, once again. But yeah, yeah, cool. um, they will be given boons depending on what choice they make. Yeah, well, one of the other things it has as an option for an epic boon is. Uh... I think uh, getting a feat or getting another ability score improvement because you know same thing. Yeah. Um. So that that's a way to like keep them at a low level but still have improvement and advancement. Mm-hmm. Um. 
Yeah, and I um so like actually one of the main reasons that I ran this was because one of my roommates in Berkeley had never played D and D, mm-hmm. and I knew that he would love it, and so uh, I was wanting to him. I was wanting him to play for so long, and so like he is like one of the main reasons I was like, okay, I need to run a game myself so that I can get him to play, and yeah. he loves it now. Like he is like one of the most in character persons. Like everyone like loves how much he gets into character, and uh, yeah, he's just absolutely fantastic. I can't get enough. Cool. Um, one more final thing about Eastix is that it also had like a way to cast higher level spells by taking mm-hmm. a feat to learn the spell. Oh, interesting. Yeah, uh, you might want to check out the rules for that if they end yeah, up I'll look that up. not breaking the myth all. It's probably not going to be that relevant if they do. Yeah, that's a good idea. Well, I do have a somewhat solution, and actually they will probably have started the next game by then. Um, they are going to be going to hell. Um, um, yeah, they're going to be in Avernus um, in the second campaign because um, they will, uh, Varys is currently Asmodeus's, um vacation home because no one, uh, the gods don't really know that the planets exist because the mythal is there. And so Asmodeus randomly found it and was like, hey, I can go here and no one will bug me. And they've actually run into him um, unknowingly. And after they destroy it, uh, if they do, um, he's not going to be happy. And he's going to be like, hey, uh, you owe me a debt now. And something that I've really loved about D&D lore and haven't been able to do a lot is cover the Blood War. Uh, mm-hmm. You know what that is? That's the war between demons and devils that keeps them all busy enough that they don't kill everyone else. Exactly. And so I was like, hey, what if I just did uh, the beginning of that? Like, what if that just happened? And um, so uh, relatively just happened. It happened about a couple hundred years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, but I had one of my players die, actually. Um, well, he died twice now, <laughs> uh, Asar and the Elf. Um, but the first time he died and then was brought back, he was in um, the Grey City, which is basically like uh, purgatory. And there was a war going on. And he came back rather quickly because he got revivified. Um, but he was kind of like, uh, what just happened? And so in the next campaign, they are going to be dealing with a war that is going on in hell. And they're going to be dealing with a war that is going on in their hometown. And they're going to have to kind of decide which is more important. That is a, a tough choice. Yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, it's going to be interesting because during the day, they're going to be solving the problems at home. And at night, they're going to be summoned by Asmodeus to um, solve some other problems down in Avernus. So I'm, oh, I'm very cool. much looking forward to it. Uh, how did the, the character get revived if there's no powerful magic? Uh, revivify. Good level. Oh, okay. That's yeah. right. That's low enough. Yeah. Um, okay. Though we did, he did just die while the cleric was gone. Uh, he missed that game, and he just he did die die. Um, I'm still deciding if they break the magic. That might be a factor into whether they um, break the mythal or not um, to bring him back, because he is currently dead dead and would need a higher level thing than revivify. Um, oh, the only thing that isn't limited besides the consequencer are um magic items so magic items of okay. uh, uh very rare 
and rare or above um, do function normally. However, they are uh, they're not illegal, but they are um, restricted. And to obtain them or to own them, you need permits that are either um, educational, military, or religious. And to get those aren't always easy. They have a couple at the moment to um, keep up with some of their items, but some of them they have to store in a bag of holding. Um, and what's a little bit more... Uh, it's daunting. like the government's legislation of, of marijuana in the U.S. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like, keeping them in control. Because the king um, doesn't want, you know, someone to become too powerful to actually pose a threat. And so right. to keep the peace, um, everyone is just kind of kept at the same power level. Uh, the consequences actually have a constant um, detect magic and detect thoughts 30 feet radius going at all times. Mm. So, like, they are like the super police. You do not want to get rolled up on them by them. Right. <laughs> uh, can the, Is the king allowed to be a higher level? Um, he definitely has higher level magic items, but he is not allowed to. So the original king, King Emerson... Uh, James Emerson III um, died a long time ago, a thousand years ago. Um, His descendant, actually, um, King Henry Emerson, um, was supposedly assassinated. And um, this is why everyone is now on a terminus, because the King of Emerson died. For a thousand years, the Emerson's family line held uh, in the terminus without anyone living on it. And um, when he died... Um, his children sold it to the king of Albion, which is like the free city um, of the Conexus. It's the only city where everyone of any race can live there in peace. And, um, you know, it's one of the cultural hubs, uh, intellectual hubs, um, everything. Mm-hmm. Um, they were the consequences and the land was sold to the king of Albion who's actually a descendant of one of the older um, Emersons, was one of his um, sons, um, was bought by uh, the King of Albion, and then everyone who was a citizen of Albion was given a um, kind of like priority to move over to Interminus. And you know, a lot of people didn't want to because it's this wild, unknown land. Uh, But after about 50 years, there was like rumors of new magic. And that sparked mm-hmm. a lot of interest in new people who were looking for adventure, looking for something new, looking for new innovation. And so a lot of the people who are over there right now are adventurers, are people who are innovators and looking for, uh, you know, new and exciting things. Okay, cool. Uh, you mentioned that uh, Asmodeus was hiding from the gods. Wanted to go back to that. Oh, uh, yeah. Uh, just from time to time. So, like, right now, he's in the midst of the Blood War, and the Blood War has completely, um, the demons have, like, completely overrun the majority of the levels of Hell, and are starting to get to, like, right now, the farthest point that they're at is the Grey City, which is a purgatory, right before they start, um, breaking into the Material Plane and then the Upper Planes, um, but, uh, yeah, so he just has a lot on his plate, and he comes to Varys just to relax. For nothing else other than to just not be constantly barked at or told uh, what to do. And uh, it's just his vacation home, basically. 
for a couple hours every every week or so. Well, uh, my my question there wasn't so much about him, but uh, what the the mythol is like blocking other people from seeing him there. Does that prevent like other planar travel, or like does that make it so clerics can't get divine spells because they can't? they're blocked from interacting with their gods like how yeah, far does that reach so um there hasn't been communication with the gods in um about same time as the binding but mm. um they do still um get power from them um up to fifth level um there's just no communication from them whatsoever the power um of the belief in them is strong enough but it's basically just not being communicated to the fullest extent. It's like coming almost as static uh, to the gods, but mm. they're still, you know, loosely aware that something is there. They just can't uh, pinpoint it directly. Gotcha. Mm-hmm. Does that also affect planar travel or summoning or teleportation magic? Anything like that that has some interaction with the planes? Um. It would for people like that were high level. The only people that would be able to cast magic high enough um, are people that would be on the same level as Loth. So like any major god would be able to supersede that, um, and that's why the consequences are able to still do that because they're like direct creations of the gods. Um, but other than that, other than you know, extreme or powerful divine magic. Um, nothing else would be able to really teleport or um, do that kind of planar travel okay. at the moment. Okay. Uh, I had a few more questions about like the, the smaller parts of your world, if you want to get into those. Yeah. A while back, you mentioned like the, the segregated like racial countries. Is there yeah. a, a reason you went with that? That I mean, I, I kind of get that like it's neater and cleaner when you're building your world, but uh, it's just curious if there was a yeah part of it was like to me it makes almost like sense why um like okay humans are all one race regardless of color elves and humans live life very differently so you know i i get it in like the way that it might make sense that they having different experiences of life might do things culturally, might make different decisions and stuff like that. But it also, nonetheless, however much sense it makes, it also will pull on people's emotions a little bit and be like, hey, I don't like that. And so part of why I did that was I want the status quo to be almost perfect. You know, there's no war. Everything's at peace. But everyone's living separately and there's, you know, a little oppression. You can't cast whatever magic you want. Uh, can't own certain magic items. Um, and so that's just a way to make it so that both sides have their pros, but also have their cons. Okay. Yeah. I was thinking it, it sounded very similar to like early 1900s, like racial nationalism kind of stuff. Yeah. Um, and I, it's funny, actually, one of the books that inspired me to write this, it's totally, um, has nothing to do with it. it. I think it has to do with history was, um, on totalitarianism by Hannah Arendt, which mostly just covers like 
how uh, Hitler came into rise through like multiple different avenues. Um, mm-hmm. And I, I'm I'm not even really sure at the moment what what the direct um, uh, relation was, but um, I just remember. Oh, maybe it wasn't even that. Maybe it was another history class that I took, and I was just wanting to cover um, people moving from Europe to the U.S. and kind of just the state that it was in uh, previously. I think okay. that's what that is what it was. All right. Uh, well, we've we've talked a lot about like the the broader parts of your world and the the plot, I guess. Um, wanted to also get into like the the different cultural aspects of your world. So it's not, I'm guessing, it's not uniform because you have like the segregated countries, obviously. Yeah. Um, are each of those like you know, elves live in the forest and dwarves live in the mountains, kind of stuff, or is there any like subversion of the usual tropes that each of the races have? Um, there is a little bit. Um, let me see. I have so I play on Foundry. I don't know if you're familiar with the online platform. I um, am. It is absolutely fantastic. Um, I wrote um, governments for each of them. So um, Albion is a constitutional monarchy. Humans are uh, feudalism. Elves are an oligarchy. Dwarves are a plutocracy. Gnomes are a democracy. Halflings are socialists. Dragonborns have an autocracy. Goblins have a dictatorship. Orcs have a matriarchy. Goliaths are anarchists. And Furbolgs are Jerenot... Chrissy. I don't even know what that word means. Um, but it probably means something. Um, in the uh, DM's handbook, there's like a list of um, of different types of governments. And I remember going through and then wanting to pick them. But um, I would say most of them generally live in like similar type landscapes. The only ones that like live in the forest and aren't that civil... Oh, I'm aren't that developed, I'm just going to use a different word now, are yeah. the Furbolgs. Uh, they mostly live in the forest. The Goliaths also um, aren't as um, developed. They um, kind of live almost like monks, kind of. They live like up in the mountains. Um, but the terrain is fairly similar for a lot of them. Um, elvins, or elves live in cities. Um, dwarves live in the mountains. Humans... Um, Gnomes and halflings all kind of live in a similar environment. Um, Albion is a lot like England. It's kind of a small, compact, or it's big, but it's smaller compared to the rest of the continent. Um, gotcha. It's like a small, dense city uh, that just stretches on for, for quite a while. But other than that, there's nothing too too extraordinary there. The only okay. things that I really fleshed out were some of the major cities, um, and then yeah, just their um, some of their like exports because each one of them uh, kind of trade with the other country for things that you know they might be better at making. Um, like the dragonborns and the dwarves are great smiths and crafters, um, and the elves do a lot of um, writing and literature. And so they often trade with each other for different things. Okay. Um, you mentioned Albion a couple times. Why don't we talk about that city? Is that where the descendants of Emerson live, or is it 
Uh, yeah, so that's where um, where one of them. Um, so in fifteen twenty, um, after binding, there was only a um, daughter. So you said fifteen twenty. I thought oh, we were sorry, only a thousand. You're right. Five twenty. Um, okay. There was a um, daughter of um, an Emerson who moved overseas and married um Seth Morcynthia and um being a daughter of the Emersons their son Jareth ended up founding Albion after being like hey everyone's all separate here what if we had a place uh where we all got together and a lot of people were against it because they were like we were at peace for 500 years why would we want to spoil that because to them you know the the rationale wasn't like oh i'm kicking all of you off uh and uh i don't want you here anymore because the mythal is on a terminus the rationale was hey we've been fighting for so long because uh we're just different and we need to go be separate somewhere else so um a lot of people were pushing against it like i'll be on the oh it's gonna fail like just leave it alone it's fine um, but for the last 500 years, it's become like one of the most, um, successful and, uh, popular cities. Um, there's still a lot of traditionalists who believe like, oh, you know, we shouldn't, um, we shouldn't mix and we should just, you know, stay within our cultures because everything's been going so well. But, you know, as always, there's people with different beliefs and there's like, hey, I want to, you know, run into an, a Goliath, or I want to hang out with a halfling, even if I'm an elf. Um, so it ended up becoming really popular, really successful uh, over the last 500 years, and it's like one of the major cultural and economic hubs of the Connexus. Okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So everyone, everyone just wants to get along. Yeah. In 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 that place. And um, what would you say, like the? Is it like a melting pot? So there's a lot of different cultures that are present there, or is there a, yeah. a unified culture? No, it's it's a melting pot for sure. Okay, and then you mentioned there was a uh, somewhere on in Terminus that everyone was getting on. Like it's only two months, so there's probably like only one or or two or just a few colonies. Is that right? Yeah. So um, they there's about five major cities. Um, I'll send you the. Um, uh, I kind of did it in a style where the map is um, blocked out. Um, there's like smoke covering mm-hmm. a large part of where they are, and as they explore, it gets uncovered. Um, oh, yeah. So um, adds a lot to the uh, exploration. And they uh, have only been to one major city and then a few small towns around it. Um, there's about three other major cities that they just haven't been to because um, they've been dealing with um, things related to their backstory, things related to what's going on. And they just haven't really had the leisure to be like, yeah, I'm just going to travel wherever I want. Um, uh, a month spent of their time was actually um in downtime um because i i put a lot of um feats for them to learn from mm-hmm. the colleges that are uh there's a arcane college and an archaeology college in jonestown which is like the capital city of interminus and 
uh, I spent a lot of time putting like classes in there for them to learn, but then I was like, uh, when are they going to have the time to actually complete all of it? So I was like, all right, I'm just going to give them a month uh, for them to be able to choose uh, whether they want to study a feat or whether they want to do other stuff. And it was right after they finished the first arc of the campaign, and there wasn't a whole lot for them to do. They were kind of like in this standstill point because they knew who their enemy was, but they didn't have much of a choice to be able to act on them because they didn't know where their enemy was after they didn't capture him. And... um. Their, they realized who the main enemy was, was Yenavandra, mm-hmm. and um, they basically threatened their families if they were to act or do anything um, overtly against her. And so um, they had this month where they were kind of like, okay, well, I guess we're just going to spend time doing our own thing until we figure out, you know, what we can do to act against her. And then the second arc began, which kind of led them um, in somewhat in that direction, but also dealing with other problems that they were... uh, Oh, here we go. Other problems that they also had to deal with, you know, with the city, politics, government, um, their roommate becoming mayor, all sorts of fun stuff. (laughs) That's cool. (laughs) Uh, I just sent you the image. So that's... uh, Actually, that's not the... uh, That's only a small part. Uh, You can see, like, a lot of Florida... Uh, it goes all the way down to Florida and then like part of Texas where, mm-hmm. where there's like the actual big map, but that's the, um, that's the small part that they've explored. Okay. Yeah. Um, so for, you mentioned like there's a government, like that it's, it's the capital city. So it has to be like a, there's a government. Um, mm-hmm. how is that functional? I thought you said they'd only been there for like two months. Um, or do you mean the so players the player, have only been yeah, there? Yeah, the players two. have been there for two months. The um, people have been there for about um, a little over, like, 50 years. Oh, um, uh, okay. Yeah. Um, and this was, like, the first city that they settled in. Um, and, you know, for a long time, like, people did not move there. Like, it wasn't until the last five years that people really started to move there in mass. Um, or, like, just more than before because the first 50 years it was just dangerous to move there because it was so unknown so unpaved there was just nothing there and so it took a long time and the who was the mayor of jonestown before they killed him um was this was this guy named saravok who uh who did a lot in terms of you know wiping out a lot of the evils but also wasn't that good of a person himself. Um, yeah, the the magic card? Yeah, yeah, he's actually... So, <laughs> um, uh, I don't know if... I, sh- I shouldn't say this, because it's like a... I, I, can't, I can't say it on like Reddit or anything like that. So, uh, if you don't know, there's this great website where you can get a lot of stuff for free, and it has to do with tools, and that's all I'm going to elaborate. But <laughs> Foundry works really great with it, and uh, you can import all of the um, all of the creatures and everything. And so, at the time, I was just dropping um, characters in, and it's so funny. Th- this character wasn't even meant to be anyone. And uh, I dropped the NPCs in after they first landed, 
and they the first thing that they had to do was give this vote in parliament um which was to decide on like whether magic um was going to be um magic items were going to be allowed or not and after they did that they went outside and then they met some of like the main npcs and this was like basically the the part where they would kind of choose their own quest line i have like four major quest lines that they could have went down and depending uh-huh. on who they gravitated to they could have been like oh yeah i like you um funny thing they didn't choose any of them they they ended up doing their like backstory uh quest line which i was more than happy to uh, oblige and do but um they during that time they talked to these three random people who i was like okay these are gonna be like some three evil imposing looking people and like they talked to them and they were like afterwards saying like oh i hate those people and then i was like okay like uh Saravok was one of the ones who I put out and then it was a couple of the other ones um Zar who's like the phantom clone or something like that mm-hmm. um and then like a couple of, and then like one other guy Edwin Odeza who are who are all from like the Forgotten Realms or who are from you know D&D module books and then uh I was like oh shit I can't change their name now so I was like all right I guess it's Saravok from uh whatever D&D uh Wizards of the Coast thing he's from so Oh, I've got I've got Bigby in my campaign because I I really oh, like yeah. all the the Bigby's hand spells. Yeah. So I just put I had to come up with a wizard that invented the spells and was famous enough for using them, and then everyone kept calling the spells Bigby's oh, nice. instead of other stuff. <laughs> That's really cool. I uh, the only thing that I've done for spells so far is I've done a few. Um, well, I guess not a few. I guess I've only done one so far. I mean, I've made one spell and then I modified another one so fire fireball is like definitively better than lightning bolt in like most cases because you can hit like way more targets it's hard to get all your enemies you know lined up in a line so what i ended up doing was i made it so that lightning bolt targeted uh three different areas of like five feet or something like that so you could hit at least you know like three people uh that way there was a choice between fireball and uh lightning strike is what i called it um, and so I tried to do that for a, for a few things. I don't know if I, if I made any other edits, um, but just to kind of, you know, give more versatility rather than just be like, oh yeah, this is obviously the best spell. God, I hate silvery barbs. I nerfed that a little bit. My, uh, the elf was using that quite a bit. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think I, I only nerfed it really gently actually, uh, to like the, I reduced the range from 60 feet to 30, but, um. Yeah, they're they are incredibly strong. It's a it's a blade singer, wizard, and a, a vengeance paladin, a twilight cleric, a gunslinger, um, fighter, and a divination wizard. Which, I mean, I'm lucky. One that I like to play really strong characters, and that I like read lots of builds, and I've actually played every single uh, class and subclass that they've played, so I know how their characters work. But it is so hard to balance <laughs> combat sometimes because they are just well, so powerful. Well, if a group that big, yeah, they're going to wolf pack a lot of the things that you put up against them. Yeah, and so a few things I've learned is, one, don't just make it one enemy. And if you do, give them legendary actions. And two, give them, if you do just do one person, give them more health because they're going to need it. Yeah, they are. they are very strong. I was going to say you also might want to bring in some environmental things that limit them yeah i i like to do that i like to make it so that it's not just one thing happening at once like they're having to 
usually decide between staying close or uh, trying to make combat a little bit more dynamic so it's not just like, oh, I swing and then that's, that's it. Um, we actually, where they killed the mayor, um, they did it on the moon and they had to be cool. careful about how far they moved. Uh, actually, technically inside the moon, but um, uh, there was still less gravity and uh, a few environmental hazards. I'm thinking of doing one coming up where it's uh, they're fighting and there's a bunch of ghosts in the area that are like trains. They hold down like the left hand of everyone, so everyone mm-hmm. can only use like their right hands. Oh, nice! That's a great idea. Have you run a um an Umber Hulk before? Uh. Maybe as a random encounter a long time ago. I don't think I've ever placed one purposely. They have um, a pretty cool ability. I think it's like a confusion ray or something like that, where like they kind of make the player like do something that they don't intend to. But they mm-hmm. also have something that's cool they can burrow. And so, so I'm actually running this campaign twice. Um, I'm almost done with one, and I started the other one for another group who I was who had uh, been playing D and D with for a really long time. And because I was like, oh, I already have the world built. I don't have to prepare as much. Um, and so I ran it for them. And I did a thing where they would burrow down underneath and then like suck someone like underground. And while that was happening, the cavern that they were in was also uh, starting to crumble. And so they were like, oh, do we fight this thing and get what we wanted to get? Or do we just uh, turn tail and run? Yeah. Yeah. They, they they were able to defeat it, luckily, but it was it was still a good challenge. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah, always like the the environment always makes it a lot more interesting. So mm-hmm. I'm trying to bring stuff in, but it's it's a little more difficult in my campaign because there's less uh, interior environments that they're interacting with. So it's often how do I make another lightly forested plain be an interesting place to have a combat? Yeah, yeah I know what you mean. Uh, something that I was going to mention too before I forget yeah. about it. Um, I um, when the players first made their way to Interminus, um, I had been wanting to do this for a while because for me, I really like options. I like being able to do different things um, yeah. as a player. And so when they first made their way to Interminus, part of getting the wild magic in them, um, they got to choose uh, between uh, I believe it's fighting initiate and magic initiate. So if they were casters and wanted to go more into melee and like pick up a little bit of melee stuff, they could do that. Or if they were melee and they wanted to pick up like a spell or a, a couple cantrips, they could do that. Or if they wanted to improve their build, they were able to do that, uh, which was a fantastic option. Um, everyone loved it, and I think it worked really well just to give people you know, a little bit more options. Never going to say no to free stuff. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. You mentioned a, a like seven players. You must have a pretty big group. Um, so no, we have five players in one and four players in the other. Um, it started as four players, and I had a fifth player join like halfway through. I think like session, uh, twelve or thirteen is when mm-hmm. that player joined in. Um, and so yeah, so five in one and then four in the other. And so you're running. Two groups through the same campaign, or are yep. they interacting yeah. with each other? Uh, no, they're not interacting with each other. Um, I'm still trying to figure out what the best way to do that is for my mental sanity, whether like it's congruent or whether it's just different universes. As of right now, I'm just going to, until it's 
you know, until one of them does something that's world-breaking, and I'm just going to keep them in the same world. Um, but what I've found is the players are interested in what's going on in the world, but they've been most interested interested in, in what's going on with their past and the characters that, like, the NPCs that they created and mm-hmm. what's going on with them. And so... When I first introduced that stuff in the first campaign, I was like, okay, you know, like I'm going to give them a chance to like, you know, you know, figure out or like rehash the things of their past and like kind of start to piece them together if they want to. And like that was what they just went full into. Um, and so I'm kind of leaning the same way for the first campaign uh, or for sorry, for the second campaign. Um, although, you know, the story is going to be vastly different because they all have different backstories. Um, and something that I had played in in previous campaigns, uh, largely my fault because uh, before as I was a player, I would just be like, "Hey, this is my character. This is basically who they are," and that was it. You know, I wouldn't write a backstory. One of my players gave right. me like five pages. The other one gave me like four <laughs> pages. Like I got wow. so much from them, and I was like, "Fuck yeah, I'm putting this all into the world," and I was like, "I'm making it super detailed," and um. So, um, like, so in my previous games that I've played in, it's been kind of like one character arc at a time, mm-hmm. um, or kind of like intermingling between them, but like mainly focusing on one. And in Dimension 20, that was really cool that I liked was like each person would get the spotlight, but the story was woven in with everyone. So it's like everyone would gain kind of the same motivation to do it because it, it involved all of them. And so that's what I did with the first story was I was like, hey, that's really cool. I have this, like, so Asarin basically gave me the big bad evil person. Um, Asmodian was tied into that because his uh, family and tribe was killed by uh, the the Zekin. Later on, the Gunslinger's family was involved in it. His uh, family got taken on Interminus. And then uh, one of the characters, Ronan the Tabaxi, has this um, strange voice um, that's speaking to him um, that kind of sounds like a snake and uh, was found out to be um, his god, who he was praying to, who was a daughter of Zahir, who was trapped in the moon. Um, Yeah, so, um, and each time they would go to a place where they would uh, find the Zekin, they would find these statues, um, and each statue, when he would put his amulet up to it, it would reveal part of a teleportation circle. And by this point, the mythal is broken um, enough to the point where they can cast, I, I think it's fifth level magic is like the highest that can be cast as of right now. And uh, when they finally got the final teleportation circle inscription, um, the um, wizard who has this connection basically with um, Alistar, the um, founder of the Metrodonna. Uh, right. He was basically lent his power to be able to cast Teleportation Circle. And they made their way to the moon. And I was uh, extremely happy that they figured out that, that could be done. I was like, uh, I was almost unsure. And he was like, I almost didn't do it. And I'm like, I'm so happy you did because I prepared you guys to go to the moon. So. Um, yeah, I did so, a moon adventure as well, but it was uh, heavily lycanthrope themed. Oh, that's so cool! That's so cool. Werewolves on the moon. 
Mm-hmm. Yep. That is awesome. Just always in werewolf form. Cause, yeah. uh, why not? Yeah. Yeah, so that was what I really tried to do was to, like, make it so that, like, everybody cared about the story. Like, everyone had um, a stake in the game as to what was happening so that everyone, you know, was paying attention and cared as much about it as the next person. And, yeah, it, it's tough to do to balance that and have it all work, so that's impressive. Yeah, it's it's gone a lot better in the first one. It it almost worked itself out because I was like, oh, this is the evil person. This is the relation to them. This they can do this. Like it really like knit itself almost. With the second one, I'm having a little bit um, more difficulty um, because I only have two players that gave me an extensive background, and so I'm like still trying to figure out how to make the other two players care. And I don't want it to be like solely about the other two players, but you know, maybe well, they care. I there's an element where you don't want to force it if it's not something that they exactly want as a person, you know. Exactly, and that's what I'm trying to do is like to not make it. Um, I'm not trying to push it. I'm trying to just, uh, you know, offer it. And if they're like no, then I'm like okay. Then I'm just gonna, you know, that it's just gonna be about them. And yeah, I guess that's what you guys are. Uh, that's what you guys want. So. Yep. But I mean, they they're loving it so far. I mean, for me, like one of the things that I love about D&D and like DMing is making the game immersive. And so like, I mean, I'm not great at it, but I've been like practicing as I play is, you know, like doing voices. Um, I have, you know, different songs on every single map that goes on like a different tracks. I have custom character tokens for everything. Um, all of the maps are made on incarnate. Like it really does feel immersive. Like once you're in the game and once everyone is like role playing, like, it really feels like you're in there. So that's what I've been able to accomplish on both games um, to the extent that I actually wanted, which feels great. Cool. Uh, you mentioned a, a gunslinger. That's um, this one, like the critical role class, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. So um, does your world have uh, that level of technology where you have guns or is he just using like crossbows or something? Yeah, so it's actually kind of a newer innovation. So um, right now um, is kind of like the beginning of the Industrial Revolution. Um, and um, <laughs> this uh, is kind of a, a bigger thing. But so... Um, the They had a side quest... Once upon a time, uh, a long time ago, session like four, and they found a falling star, and the falling star warned them about a, uh, or it was a small little orb um, named Drone, and um, the falling star warned them uh, about a intergalactic threat, basically, of um, some spore-like creatures that would be turned into teramites that would be formed in the stomachs of people, and um, once formed out of the people, um, they basically just have innate, advanced technological knowledge. And so what they do is they um, they benefit societies by offering them their knowledge and for advancing their technology to uh, the <laughs> limit, so like as far as possible. And then once that happens, uh, the Terramites take over. And um, that happened to this guy's planet. And um, he's basically sending um, drones out to basically be like, hey, 
uh, you have a possible termite infestation. And um, they they solve it. Um, luckily, actually, it's still kind of an issue. Uh, one of the reasons that they killed the mayor is because the mayor was like, hey, that sounds awesome. I'm going to use that to my advantage. And I'm going to keep these dwarves. Um, but um, one of the player characters, actually, is from that planet and came here like 200 years ago um, to do um, a similar thing, except this was before the Terramites had taken over and destroyed everyone, and he was going to spread them in a good way, thinking like, oh, they benefit societies. And so he only actually manages to spread it to um, um, one person who ends up being uh, the guy is um, Ludwig von Nock, who is the innovator. And um, his uh, he doesn't get it, but his daughter and his wife get it. And um, how what the Terramites actually are, are um, consequences that have become autonomous. Oh. So, yeah. I thought they were really going into like the, the alien thing here. No, so what happened was um, consequences when given their own like remotes basically get mm-hmm. to just act freely, and they were like, "Hey, we're kind of like slaves to everyone. What if we like weren't?" And uh, so they started to create like their own like basically way to reproduce, and. Um, once they did that, uh, they started to like spread, and um, so now the guy who is the biggest innovator um, has his daughter uh, became a consequencer, and uh, is like this small miniature one, and is basically giving him knowledge, and he keeps her in this um, uh, portable hole, and um, uh, gets all his information from her. Uh, they do not know this yet, and they will hopefully figure it out because it's important to one of their backgrounds um actually it's important to two of them because one of the main characters um when i when when we first started playing i was like hey guys play whatever you want i don't care if you want to play a uh you know um a sentient sword do whatever you know D is a game about creativity let your creativity go wild um but he wanted to play gunslinger and so um his family was basically the biggest uh, Phoenix doll, Doll Guns, was the um, Borderlands um, reference shout-out. Um, uh, doll Guns was kind of like Renaissance-era pistols, you know, like um, shitty one-shot uh, load ones. And mm-hmm. um, Ludwig van Nock came around and just revolutionized it. You know, it's like Western pistols and rifles. You know, it's the uh, Winchester rifle versus um, whatever those crappy guns that they fought in uh, the early American Revolutionary War. Um, yeah, mus- muskets. Yeah, muskets, like exactly. Side-loading rifle barrels. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. And so they were quickly um, put out of business. And, like, basically, um, Phoenix, uh, one of his, like, story plot points is, like, I, my family is a part of this failing business. My father's sick, and I need to find a way to cure him. And the only thing he cares about is this business, and I need to somehow bring it out of the rubble. And he has gotten kind of close with this guy, Ludwig, who has been doing all these uh, technological advances. 
Phoenix is one of your players. Yes, he is the gunslinger. Okay. And um and so he is trying to and actually has learned how to create one of these pistols and not only that um how to like imbue um runes into pistols to be able to make them silent. Um basically you inscribe a silence rune onto it or misty step uh or invisibility um and is hoping to, you know, make his own way or, you know, somehow bring the uh his family business back. But uh yeah, that's the that's the overall Ludwig von Nock, his uh daughter, who he couldn't kill because was still attached to her, uh turned into a consequencer and is now uh gaining technological secrets and also potentially endangering the entire world by keeping her. Okay. Yeah. Uh so as I understand it, you have technological guns, not magical guns. Right. They're like um you know mechanically or evolved or technologically evolved it's technology it's not magic there's magic okay. imbued in them if they you know uh get the have... silence rune and that's exactly stuff. if yeah. they get runes inscribed but uh they work off of technology okay cool mm-hmm. cool and you've got the the gunslinger rules to support that yeah all right neat yeah it's cool uh you know a lot of this stuff i didn't I mean some of it I did design beforehand, but a lot of the stuff I designed, and then as we were playing, I was like, "Hey, this fits really well with this," and it kind of just came together uh, in a way where it makes things connected in a way that makes sense and in a, connects it to uh, the point where like people are like, "Oh, I know this, and I know this," and it's like uh, they get to kind of solve it um, along the way, which. Is so fun for me, and it's so fun for me when they get to, you know, finally make those realizations. I think the hardest part about being a DM isn't all the preparation and stuff, but it's just holding on to your story and all the surprises and being like, oh, I can't wait till you get to see this. Because <laughs> it's uh, it takes a lot of patience, I think. Yeah, it does sound like your your players are very integrated into the world with the the character ideas that they have. Yeah, absolutely. So in your survey, you said you're working on a, a campaign setting book for this. Um, that was about a month ago, and you said you were two to three months from completion. How's that going? Yeah, it's going good. Um, so I started it when I was just writing recaps. Um, since it was the first campaign for like two of the players, um, I was like, it would be really cool to be able to like look back and be like, hey, this is what happened each session. Um because I don't have that for, like, my first campaign. I only, like, have loose memories of, mm-hmm. like, you know, what happened. But I was like, oh, it'd be really cool if I had, like, a detailed copy of everything that happened. And so by the time we got to, like, session 11 or 12 or something like that, I had, like, 20,000 words written from Ooh. session recaps. Yeah. And uh, I was like, shit, I should probably do something with this. Um so I decided, um, I was like, okay, well, I could make a book. Um, and I was like, okay, what if I made a book and then also made um, a campaign setting? So if if they in the future wanted to, you know, run it for, I don't know, their kids, their friends, or whoever, or if someone else just wanted to play in the world, um, they could do that too. Because... This setting isn't like a follow this recipe, but it's more like 
here are some things that you could add and work with to kind of integrate into some of the ideas that you have. Mm-hmm. Um, and something that I haven't seen, I don't even know if it's been done before, was a campaign book where you also had a um, had a written copy of what happened when someone played in that campaign. And I was like, that sounds really cool because like the majority of where I get my inspiration for a lot of things is like reading other books or, you know, watching um, D- uh, Dimension 20 or something. So mm-hmm, right. I was like, this would be great as a source of inspiration. And, you know, maybe people would also just want to read it because uh, it's, you know, it's a cool story for the most part. Um, and so now I'm about, I think, like 45,000 words. And um, hopefully three sessions away from being done. Um, I actually, let me see. Um, let's see right here. I think I have it pulled up. Yeah. So I can actually show you um, a little bit right here of what um, is done so far. Okay. Yeah. So here is the, um, this is the uh, front cover. Um, this is the snake god they found in the moon. This is the, um, uh, the former mayor. And so I've got, I think, a good majority of their, um, player pages done. So this is Phoenix. Um, I kind of blended it in Photoshop and added a background, Uh um, added a little intro about him and then added his, um, stat block and everything. And I've done that for, I think, most of them now. Um, I still need to write some of their intros, but I have a good majority of their um, of their. Yeah, this is really done. cool. Yeah, yeah. I, I'm really trying to make it, you know, like, look legit. So, like, if someone were to pick it up, they'd be like, oh, you know, like, I could play this as, like, a, as like a story. And then, and then I started putting in some of the writing and everything. I still have to go through and kind of edit the beginning and... Um, Luckily, I've done a lot of the editing as I've kind of gone, but and this is only like the first, I think, like five sessions or something like that. Um, I'm not sure if I marked it. I think it, this is about 30 pages long or something like that. Um, yeah, up to session five. So I'm looking probably about 100 to 200 pages ish. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, it's it's um it's going well so far. It's, yeah, that's very neat. It's just time consuming, you know, and it's hard because, uh, I mean, they have no idea that I'm doing this. Only one mm-hmm. of them does. My best friend Rowan, who's, uh, who's Asar and the Elf, who, um, uh, funny enough, I accidentally killed. But, um, uh, yeah, it's. I I think it's gonna be really cool. Uh, when I print out the hard copies and send them to them, and then they're like, "Hey, I have this cool hard copy of what I spent so much time on." Yeah, no, that's a that's a great way to have a memory of the campaign. Uh, yeah, I think that's really neat, and yeah. a good use of all that art that you've you've got commissioned. Yeah, yeah, I know. Uh, it's 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 tough because I I love getting the art done so much, and I love supporting the artists. It's just so expensive. Um, I'm hoping this is my hope is that I will. Um, I need to first. Um. Uh. So when you get art done, um, 
you pay the fee, but you have to buy. You also have to buy a commercial fee if you want to like sell it. Mm-hmm. And so, if I wanted to like sell this book for any amount of money, I'd have to then pay you know like an extra ten percent on all of the uh, art that I've got commissioned. Mm-hmm. Um, but what I would like to do is you know if people end up liking it or buying it enough to like it is you know at least make back enough money to be able to you know do it again for a second one uh because uh i was uh pretty lucky in like um like during the pandemic and stuff like that i are like since 2018 i got into cryptocurrency and ended up making like a bunch of money but since then uh it's been down bad and um I was not uh, financially well off as I was like a year ago. So I'm like, <laughs> oh shit, I spent like $3,000 on this and now I've lost like $200,000. I'm like, I don't know if I uh, can keep doing this. <laughs> but you know, right. you know, maybe the market will bounce back. You know, I'm pretty relaxed and I have a good amount of patience. So I'm like, uh, I'm just uh, hoping. Yep. Yep. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. Um, yeah, and Drive Through RPG has a really good way of to self-publish for that kind of yeah, stuff. Yeah, yeah, them and DM Guild. So I can publish on them under them, you know, with certain licenses. Uh, I'm hoping. I'm hoping before. Uh, have you been following the like OGL thing? I, I still don't really know like a ton about it, but I've been following it like loosely. Yeah, a little bit. Um, and I I haven't really been worried about that much for like producing your own content. I don't think they're really going to care about, um, like individual producers like you mm-hmm. or me um and uh like they already have a deal worked out with drive through rpg and dm skilled like those are like wizards sponsored productions of dm uh, okay cool D content so i i don't think there's gonna be a witch hunt for people there well that's relieving because i was like i'm about to make this thing and then as soon as i do it's it's illegal to do so and uh, i'm gonna have to be selling it on the streets like a yeah, yeah. The change only matters for like large companies, and uh-huh. the issue is that that twenty percent royalty is on revenue, not profit, which is the real problem. Gotcha. Um, oh, that's so kind of you, weird. Yeah, if you do a twenty percent uh, royalty on revenue, which is typical for how royalties are done, but it means that once you get to that seven hundred fifty thousand dollar amount you might be losing money on every sale you make past that amount because now you have to hand over 20% to wizards when only 10% is your profit. Hmm. Um, so it it really is going to kill large competitors um, in that context, but it if it's enforced um, and if it stands up in court, which is, well, iffy for stuff that's pre, pre-1 D&D. Yeah, uh, but for people like you and me, now Wizards isn't gonna care that you're selling a setting book unless it becomes vastly popular. In which case, whoa, woo, success, and then yeah. you can d- deal with that later. <laughs> yeah, and and following the the Reddit memes, they're gonna claim as their own. This is mine. <laughs> yes, yes. Um, um, I feel like those aspects of it. Um, I, I mean, you're doing the same thing to them. You're using Loth in your campaign, so why yeah. can't they do the same thing back, right? For sure. Yeah. Um. um which, you know, I I only ever created this uh, as a way for my players to remember. I mean, it would be cool if I could just make enough money back so I could do it again. But, I mean, even if one person, random person, I mean, hey, you might read it. Who knows? Uh, I'll send you a free copy, uh, free PDF. Um, oh, that's nice. 
but uh yeah not not a hard copy i know how expensive those are for small runs yeah oh god i still am dreading having to figure out that uh <laughs> but uh yeah um yeah, yeah, honestly, the cheapest way might be just putting it on Drive Through RPG and then just buying it through that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, I'm hoping that I can find some publishing house here that just will work with me to uh, print some small. I only need to print like six books, so right. Hopefully, uh, hopefully it goes well. But you know, I'll cross that bridge when it comes to it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, uh, I'm sorry the listeners didn't get to see all the the stuff in the book, but it does look very nice. Yeah, uh, well, maybe in the future or something we could uh, post a, a link or something to copy it to, or maybe like a free code or something to go check it out. Yeah, yeah. If you wanna, if you wanna do something like that, yeah, we can we can set that up later on. But yeah, uh, yeah at least there's the the Discord channel to to share. Oh a few, yeah, like, absolutely. Stills from it if you want. Yeah. yeah. Um. Well, is there anything else you wanted to talk about while we're here? Um, I think I covered. Um. Quite a bit. Uh, thanks for giving me the opportunity to talk. Um, I know I talked quite a bit. Uh, once I get into it, it's kind of hard to stop. I'm just really no, no, it was definitely passionate a lot of fun. about it. So, um, yeah, okay. I uh, enjoyed it a lot. Um, be happy to come on again, maybe in the future when everything's done and maybe uh, some things have progressed and maybe uh, catch up and yeah. uh, see see how things are going. Yeah, that definitely be cool. Um, before we sign off, did you have any uh, DMing advice you wanted to send out to the universe? Ooh, um, DMing advice. Okay, one shots are incredibly difficult uh, because it is hard to tie up a nice, neat, succinct story in three to five hours. I've seen more half shots um, than I have one shots because they were planned to be one shots. Uh, um, which I have run, and also which other people have run. Um, so if you're planning on doing a one-shot, I would say don't do anything more than two combats. Uh, one as like a little introductory one, and then maybe like a bigger one at the end. Uh, puzzles are great, exploration is great, uh, but try not to do more than two combat, because combat takes forever. Um, other than that, um, something that I love about D&D and that I never understand why um, other people don't like other DMs don't like allow certain things um, is I love creativity and I love being able to like make things work in interesting ways or like adapt things and I've never really understood why you know if something could be changed just for flavor or you know barely mechanically why those uh why those changes can't be made so um yeah i'm the same way about that yeah um so you know uh i would say it's a game about creativity let your creativity rule and um you know it's about having fun it's not always i mean the rules are important um but you know sometimes um it's a it's a game about having fun so you know have fun out there All right, cool. Well, thanks for coming on the podcast, Chris. It was really great talking with you. Yeah, absolutely, Isaac. I always give people a chance to ask any questions after the podcast if they, they feel like it.
Um, no, I don't think so. I guess uh, we only talked about me. Um, I guess I'm kind of curious. How long uh, are you uh, DMing at the moment? Yeah, yeah. Uh, my campaign is closing in on the end as well. Um, oh, nice. I don't don't know exact how how many sessions, but probably like two more, three more adventures worth. It's mm-hmm. been a, it's been like four years at this point for the one we're doing right now. Oh wow! It's it's this whole one campaign is four years. Um. Yeah, it's like the third or fourth campaign I've done in this uh, this campaign oh, world. Oh, okay, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah, my last campaign was split into sort of two halves where I wanted to have two different parties that were run by the same players mm-hmm. that would um, eventually meet and interact and try and like take on the, the villains together. Mm-hmm. Um, where one of them was a high-level party and one of them was a low-level party. Uh, the low-level party ended up like growing away from that goal uh, so it no longer made sense for them to be part of it and the players were also really enjoying the high level party anyways so we ended up finishing the campaign with just the high level party hmm. well the low level party um, ended up wanting to go one of them was a, a couple of them were orcs or half orcs wanted to go to like where the orcs live and unite the orc tribes and get them into like being a proper nation that could interact with the rest of the world um so they're uh, they're doing that now. Well, I I hope that in four years uh, I will hopefully be at the same spot. Uh, you know, I'm curious. Uh, how is scheduling for you? What what do you do for scheduling? Do you hit up everyone individually? Do you message them on Discord and have them react, or do you have them figured out? Uh, I have a Discord server set up for our our group. Yep. And there's a couple different channels on the Discord server. So let me take a look at it now. So we have one that's for tracking story events. Um, so like if some, that's where we'd post like a session recap, um, shorter than the ones that you're doing. But uh, we have a channel for um, describing different cultural things or different cultural questions about the world. So like what what food do they eat here? Is it appropriate to bow to this person? That kind of thing. Oh, that's cool. There's a different channel for discussing character builds. There's a different channel for sharing memes. <laughs> um, there's a different channel for just talking about like our our lives. Um, there's a different channel for posting like the loot that they got from monsters and then deciding how they're going to split it up between the different characters. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, you're doing session recaps. I also record my sessions. There's a different um, channel where I post like recordings. And there's also a channel for scheduling, which gotcha. is the, what I was leading up to and saving for last. Um, so at the end of every session, there's a quick like, okay, when's the next? When does it make sense to do another session? Um, and then I'll put up a, okay, we'll do it on Tuesday, the 31st, and everyone will then, you know, you can react to a message on Discord. I'll put up a check mark and an X mark, and then everyone else just has to click that reaction to add the same reaction they have. Mm-hmm. So if they're going to come, they'll click the check. If they're not going to come, they'll click the X. And if they're unsure, then they'll add an additional question mark. Gotcha. Um, we've also picked a day uh, that is works pretty well for everyone's schedules, um, which is every other Tuesday. Gotcha. So you guys are playing like twice a month? Yeah, and only for about three hours. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's about how long I play. Yeah, they're, they're shorter sessions than what we used to do, but now that we're 
adults with families and other responsibility uh, nonsense or late know, bartending right? jobs. It sucks getting old. Um, yeah, so because of that, um, having something that's shorter but more consistent uh, mm-hmm. and like everyone tries to block out that time usually. Um, yeah. Obviously it doesn't work always like for holidays and like Valentine's Day is coming up for when, when one of our sons is going to be and that one's like I've already canceled it in my mind mm-hmm. <laughs> even though we haven't scheduled it yet. Yeah, I was just gone for three weeks, and it's been a month since we played. And I'm like, oh my god! Like, and then it didn't work out this week. I was like, we need to get back to it. I'm like, we need to finish this game. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I get, I get the itch when I haven't played in a while too. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so what I do is I text each one of them individually because I thought that that would, you know, work better because I'm like reaching out to each one of them, and then once I know their schedule, I have to Tetris everything together. Um. Uh, and I gotta say, if anything is gonna stop me from ever playing D anD D, it's gonna be scheduling because it just makes me hate it so much. <laughs> like I'm, I'm having to figure it out, and then like one person's like, "Oh, actually, I can't do that time." Or if all the times work for four people, and then the fifth person's like, "Oh, I can't do that time," I'm like, "Why is it like this? Why is why is this happening to me?" Uh, I mean, you, sometimes you just have to go with the majority. So I've got oh, so, six yeah. players. Yeah, and I've done that. One of then, them just almost never shows up, and it's yeah. like there isn't a day that would work better for him. He's just got too many other commitments, so it's yeah, just, he doesn't. He no longer has like a regular. There, there's always like some excuse we have to come up for his character. So usually he's not on an adventure with him, right? And then if he does show up, we'll just be like, oh, okay, I guess Korjak was here the whole time. So yeah, yeah there, there's Korjak. Now he's with yeah. everyone else. <laughs> Yeah, I don't mind doing that either. I'm like, it's a game about imagination. Use your imagination. Like, but uh, it's it's at the point right now where like each person is in, intertwined and things are gonna get tied up for them. Like, I need everyone to be there. The last session was the last session that they could have not been there. But these last three, like literally, everyone needs to be there. And actually, for a while, like we had a couple weeks last uh, year where we played like three times a week, um, and it was. Phenomenal. I was so happy. Um, ever since we added my other friend, uh, the fifth person, it's been way irregular. And like, I'm in this tough position right now where I'm like, I want to almost say like, hey, you can't be a part of the full-time group because like, you're making it so the full-time group can't play. But I also like, don't want to hurt his feelings. So I'm like, not really sure what to do. Well, uh, I mean, the other person I'm, in my group, it's like understanding, like, you know, when he's here, he gets to play, but we're yeah. not going to try to accommodate his schedule just because it's not possible. Right. Um, when I, what we did for the final session of my last campaign, like six years ago, I guess it is now, um, is we tried to schedule it further out, like uh, two months out, mm-hmm. where we'd have a whole weekend to finish it. Yeah. That's um, smart. And had it be more like a, you know, like a camping trip or an event or something like that. Oh, that's a great you know, idea. Getting together with all your friends and actually finishing the campaign. Um, so we were still, we're, we're kind of spread out over the country at this point. So we didn't do it in person, but we set aside a weekend and we all got online for basically from Friday night through to Sunday afternoon. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a good idea. I might even try that because... Um... The last two sessions are probably going to be a bit longer. Like, we only played three hours. The other, the second campaign that I'm running, they like to play for, like, a longer time. So we play for, like, five hours every time. But yeah. um, we used to, 
play for so long. Like when I first started playing D and D, and it was in person, we would play for like seven or eight hours and like mm-hmm. almost accomplished nothing, but had so much fun just messing with NPCs and you know doing nothing. Uh, oh man, I was reading through one of my old session recaps, and I was just like, how the fuck did we get this much done in a single <laughs> session? <laughs> Oh, that's right. That was like an eight-hour session, of course. Yeah. <laughs> um, I was going to say, the other thing that we sometimes do in our sessions is if there's something that comes up that's relevant to a player that's not there, we won't just stop the session. We'll keep going. And then when that player comes back for like the next session that they're there for, we'll do a flashback and say, okay, so here's what happened. How do, how do you react? And then we can get back in that moment and include everyone else as well. Yeah, I like doing that too, actually. I'm I'm going to have to do that next session because the cleric who was gone actually got put in jail um, um, for casting a spell. As of right now, the King of Albion is on Interminus and has basically outlawed all magic and all magic items. And um, they killed the mayor on the moon and no one knows that he's dead except for them. And the uh, end of the mayor race um, came up and... Um, the uh, one of the main political figures is a changeling, and they know it. And when uh, Saravok won and didn't show up, the uh, changeling left the room and turned into Saravok, and then came back into the room to claim victory. And uh, the uh, cleric cast a moonbeam on him, and uh, he got reverted, and uh, he got sent to jail because of that. And that's why he was gone in game last re- uh last session but uh right. yeah, we're gonna do a flashback as to what's going on while he's in jail um, okay but yeah all right well yeah that's my my take on getting scheduling to work is uh yeah the the player that can't show up you might have to just accept that they're not yeah a regular and they can have a a phantom character that's there when they're there and not there when they're not or they can take over an npc mm-hmm. um but yeah, I, I wouldn't recommend actually trying to accommodate their schedule if they, yeah. you, you know, if someone can wants to find time, they'll find time. Right. Um. And uh, yeah, for actually, you know, you really do want to have everyone there for the the final session. Then yeah. you just need to plan it further out and have it be something that's more like a instead of a weekly session, more like a you know a, a weekend fun get together thing. Yeah, and we've been lucky. I mean, most of us are still fairly young, like, um, like mid twenties. And so like, the only thing that really prevents us is like jobs. Like, uh, I'm a bartender. So like, sometimes I'll be working like late at night and hopefully if I start this new job, I'm going to be working remote from like seven to like three or like five, uh, nine to five. So I'm, Mm. I'm really hoping that this works out and I don't have to be working those, those late hours anymore because I mean, D and D is like, pretty much the only thing that I'm like super passionate about at the moment and uh keeping me from thinking about applying to law school. <laughs> like I'm just like just have fun for a little bit longer before I have to uh, oh, man, but if you go to law school then you can be a bartender that passes the bar. <laughs> That's a good one. I'm gonna use that. <laughs> yeah. Nah, that's not mine. There's a <laughs> but yeah, go ahead. <laughs> But yeah, I think maybe I'll try the the Discord thing. I, I I'm just worried about doing that because I mean, one of my fears is like I could also just put it in a group text message, you know, and just be like, hey, you know, like the message if 
it works for you. But I, I'm just concerned that like, you know, they won't respond or, you know, like, because uh, like already it's kind of a hassle to be to get them to respond. Sometimes I have to text them twice. And it's weird yeah. because, you know, you might think like, oh, then they might not be that interested. But like every time I talk to a, they like love it and they're just bad at responding because, you know, they're still kind of young. And so they're a little bit irresponsible but uh yeah i mean you're you're always gonna have a bit of that that's true yeah um, i do have another group for for magic that uses a group text and i will say it, it's it's a lot worse than the discord thing yeah um and they the other advantage of the discord thing is that you you put the message up at the end of the your session. ongoing like the session so people mm-hmm. can respond yeah, right, right away there. And yeah, there's a few people that weren't there, but those are the people that don't show up as often, so you don't try to schedule around them. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, usually I check in every Sunday because I'm like, because that's when a lot of people have their schedule for next week, and so they'll know yeah. like you know when's free and stuff like that. So yeah, it is a bit easier for for me um, because everyone has a nine to five, well, mm-hmm. or at least a, a regular scheduled shift, so there there isn't as much you know variability in when people are available. Yeah. Yeah, we had two people that were working, like, serving or bartending for a while. And even still, somehow we managed to get quite a few done. I mean, we've I, I've, I've had, like, in total, I think, 19 or so, like, canon sessions. And then we had, like, side quests and stuff like that for, like, when mm-hmm. not everyone was there. And I think there was, like, seven of those. So I think we've done, like, 26 sessions within, like, from January, February, March, April. I think we started in April. So from April to now. Uh, we've run like 26-ish sessions, so pretty good, yeah. I think, for for the most part. Yeah, April. Uh, yeah, that's um, yeah, it's about as many as that's more than I've run. Yeah, um, I'm just hoping to also finish strong. Next campaign, I don't give a fuck. You know, I think I'm just gonna do the. I'm just gonna do put it on Discord, React. Uh, if you guys want to play, it's up to you. I mean, I would love to continue the story, but like. Just because I put so much time and money into this one, I'm like, I just need to finish this one. Please, just let me finish this one. <laughs> okay. And uh, just a note, since people often forget this, um, if someone doesn't respond to your text, you're allowed uh-huh. to call them. <laughs> yeah, I actually had to do that to one of my to one of my players because uh, he actually had something going on with his family. He like no call, uh-huh. no showed, which was like super unlike him. And yeah. I was like. I honestly thought he was dead. I was, like, so worried. I, like, texted him multiple times, called him multiple times, and just didn't get a reply. Mm-hmm. And then he was like, oh, I had sorry, I had something going on with my family. It was, like, important. And I'm like, okay, I'm just glad you're alive. Because, like, I for sure thought you were dead. And that was tripping yeah, hard. Yeah, that, that's always, you know, stuff like that's going to happen. Yeah. Luckily, it wasn't too uh, important of a time. We were able to go without him. But, yeah, I think next campaign, I'm going to try to not make it... Uh, as important for every single person to be there. Basically, if the majority of people are there, then I'm like, oh, fuck it, we're playing. But, you know, it's also hard because you're like, you want to include everyone and you want yeah, want it yeah. to be important to everyone. It's tough. It's tough being a DM. Yeah, it's, it's like kicking out one of your friends, but you, know, you, can, still, yeah. you can still do other stuff with them. It's just yeah. like not as tightly scheduled. And the other, and I DM, or he's the DM for another game that I play in too. So, like, I would just you know, feel bad being like, oh, yeah, sorry, dude. Uh, I couldn't get you in this week, but here I am. Yeah. But, you know, whatever. It's funny. We actually met on a 
on a Discord here in uh there so for Berkeley there's like Discords that are specific and so mm-hmm. we didn't we met in person like after we didn't play for months but uh yeah we met online and then started playing that way it was just like him and like two friends and they were just looking for like one more person and oh, that's uh, cool yeah it ended up working out it's it's not always easy finding people online to uh play D&D with yeah, there's a there is a lot of failure with that, but yeah, yeah. I'm glad it, it worked out. That's yeah. great. 